Thank you, Lillian, for reading that for us. Uh, please do keep it open, and let's pray as we uh, come to look at it. Our Father God, we thank you for, again, this wonderful chapter for your great revelation written so many hundreds of years before Jesus' coming, and yet so clearly speaking of him and his saving work. And as this morning, as we reflect on that again, and as we think through what his rescuing work brings, please, Father, would you speak not only to our minds, but our hearts, that we would be changed by what we see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We love a good turnaround story, don't we? You know, rags to riches, loser to love, villain to hero. I think there's, there's something lovely about those stories when, when broken, the broken people find hope, you know, when the downtrodden are freed, particularly when that person who is so spectacularly messed up is given another chance and things turn around for them. And I wonder whether stories like that, I wonder the reason why they grab our hearts like they do is because in some measure they reflect the redeeming work of God in his people's lives. This is what the, the saving work of God does. It brings, as I've entitled uh, the, the sermon this morning, divine reversals. It brings about these incredible changes as God reaches down through his Son into broken, rebellious, lost people's lives, and by his grace, he saves them and transforms them, he brings about these <coughs> radical changes. And that is why we call the news of Jesus the gospel, good news. Probably about once a year, uh, I kind of check the news most days just to kind of see what's going on about going on in the world and about once a year I'll just kind of get so disheartened by what I read and I had a bit of a moment like this kind of couple of weeks ago war famine cost of living recession on 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 it goes and every now and again like I'll say I just kind of stop watching looking at the news for a few days as I kind of I've had enough of it but into a world that is so full of bad news and that's just the news uh, that's nothing to mention anything that might be going on in our lives. That is why the gospel is such good news. And I'm sure it will be for us this morning as we consider these changes that the gospel brings to our lives. I'm praying that whatever our weeks have been and however we're feeling about what's going on in the world and our lives, yeah, we'll be so encouraged by what we see today. Excuse me. Over the past four weeks, we've been looking at the songs of the servants. Uh, broadly speaking, the book of Isaiah comes in two halves. You've got chapters 1 to 39, which are about the sin and rebellion of Israel, God's people, and indeed the surrounding nations, and the judgment that's going to come upon them. Then chapters 40 to 66 is God speaking words of comfort to his people, assuring them that he is going to come uh, to rise up to redeem the people. And these four servant songs come in this second half of the book. They're, they're words that, of the Lord who was going to come and to bring righteousness, to bring forgiveness to his people. And not just to the people of Israel, but actually to the people to the very ends of the world. And last week's really was the, the, the pinnacle. It's the most famous, but it's famous for a reason, is it? 
presents these things so clearly as we see that this suffering servant is the Lord Jesus. And we saw that in chapter 52, verse 13, uh, to the end of chapter 53. And time and again through these verses, as Mark highlighted for us, we, we see this substitution that the servant, Jesus, was going to do something for his people. Just as one simple example, look down at 50, chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Barely believable that Jesus would endure those things himself. They're not deserving of any of them, yet he bore them so his people wouldn't have to. And then this week and next week, as we'd expect, chapter 53, 54, 55, uh, we flow on and we're seeing the results of that substitution of Jesus, of him taking those things upon himself. And in chapter 54, we see these divine reversals. Chapter 54, it uses three overlapping pictures to help us just understand some of the depths of Jesus' saving work. They're three images of God's people which show this reversal. I put them down on your sheet there. We see a barren woman singing, a grieved widow unafraid, and a broken city secure. So let's see the first one, a barren woman singing, or at least she soon will be. 54 verse 1, sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. God's people here are pictured collectively as this barren woman a woman who's never given birth. Now, childlessness, either because of being single or because one or both of spouses are unable to have children, can be an incredibly painful thing. Inner turmoil, turmoil and pain that, that can go on for years, sometimes for a lifetime. And as a church, we need to be sensitive about that. But in their culture... On top of the pain, it also carried a sense of shame. You see, in those days, the more children you had, well, the more workers you had. More bodies out in the fields doing the farming and the like. And so, therefore, more than likely, the more successful you were. And when you yourself got too old to work, well, if you didn't have any children, no one to move in, no one to take care of you, then you, you were destitute. Once you couldn't work, you couldn't earn, you couldn't live. And so having children was the way to success, in a sense. It, it was to security. But it wasn't just about you and your family. It was about your tribe and your nation, particularly as God's people. You see, the people of God were living under that promise to, of God to Abraham and his descendants 
to that promise to Abraham and, and Sarah that their descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the dust. And so if you were barren, in some sense you, you weren't quite really experiencing it, you weren't adding to that work. And so in that culture, mothers of many were respected and celebrated, and barren ones were disgraced. Just just one example from quite a few examples that we find in the Old Testament. Rachel, back in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel, when she wasn't bearing Jacob any children, she said to God, give me children or I shall die. That's the kind of experience of a childless woman in that culture back then. And Israel has been this barren woman because of their rebellion against God, so vividly described in chapters 1 to 39 of Isaiah, they were full of, of shame and disgrace. In, in verse 1, again, we, we seem described as the desolate one. But the desolate and disgraced one is to sing. We read it again, verse 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. What an incredible reversal. A barren one, no longer in distress, but actually having joy bursting forth from them. And why? Why is it? How is it that this reversal comes about? Well, Because God is going to act, he is going to turn things around for this barren woman. So carrying on from the middle of verse uh, 1. For, here's the reason why we should sing and, and, and burst forth in song. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Hmm. Okay, so you're going to have more, it doesn't, first reading kind of makes sense, so that the children of the desolate one are going to be more than the one who had children. Let's keep going. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your offspring will possess the nations, and uh, will people the desolate cities. What is saying, look here, get ready for rapid expansion. So in those days, it would have been common practice. You know, if you're living in a tent and you're going to have another children or two or whatever, well, you, you make your tent bigger. So you kind of sew on an extra little kind of flap or whatever, and, and you dig it and you stretch your cords out and you get another curtain and you um, hammer your um, stakes in a bit stronger to support the extra space. Putting it in today's language, God's saying, look, do a ground floor extension. Go into the loft, extend into the loft. Build the, the kind of summer house in the garden that you could, I know you're not meant to, but stick a couple of kids in. <laughs> While you're at it, buy next door, knock through, do the same there. That's kind of what he's saying here. You barren one, get ready for this explosion of your family. Now he's not saying that she will have lots of children. You know, it's, still, it's the barren one singing. This, this growth doesn't happen naturally, but the, the people of God will grow. God will give the children. 
And all this was, was because of the servant's death. So just think, again, kind of the meaning of it. The childlessness, not having the children, meant this kind of disgrace, this shame, this lack of security. And God is saying, I am going to give you an abundance of children. I am going to give you an abundance of security, of value, of dignity. And hence why they are to sing, to burst out in song, in joy. Now, there are circumstances too, maybe painful. Maybe you are going through childlessness uh, now and you're experiencing that pain yourself. It might be illness, it might be money worries, it, whatever those pains and struggles may be. And though those hard times might not necessarily go away, yet we have this good news that we can sing. Because through the Lord Jesus Christ, who took upon the shame and uh, disgrace upon himself, we have no more shame because of our sin. We have ultimate dignity and value and worth because of our relationship with God, as we're going to see in our second point in just a moment. And so even in the pain that we may go through, yet such joy because of the saving work, we can burst forth in singing. Second one, I say very much interlinked imagery, but uh, firstly we, we saw that um, uh, the barren woman singing, now we see a grieved wife, unafraid. So verse 4, uh, in, verse, sorry, in verse 4, that, that picture morphs between this kind of the, the barren one to this grieved wife. This wife has been divorced by her husband's. But sadly, like it's so often the case, this isn't because the, the husband has kind of been unfaithful, has betrayed his marriage vows and has run off with somebody else. No, this is fully deserved by this wife. Because again, this is a picture of God's people in the Old Testament as a whole. Time and again through the Old Testament, they were described as God's bride. And she was the adulterous one. And as such, in verse 4, she's described as... Um, uh, ashamed and reproach. And, and in verse 6, those deserved, deserted and grieved. And I say, uh, time and again through the Old Testament, we saw God's people being unfaithful to God, turning their backs on Him, going after idols, and it kind of any idol, anything, anyone except God, such as their unfaithfulness such shame and disgrace on them because of that. And God, in his holiness, in his justice, he did indeed cast them away for a time. I think this is probably speaking of the exile. Uh, the, we looked at, um, if you're here regularly, in, in Daniel just bef before this, he, God's people for 70 years were carried off to, to live in a foreign land. Their city was ransacked. The, the, the temple um, plundered. The people killed and those who weren't were carried off uh, to this other place. And for a time it looked indeed that God's people had been discarded, cut off by him. And the people then were broken, grieved, afraid, confused. But no longer. But no longer. Verse 4, let, let's read it all. 
fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Why? How? Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. I've only kind of heard of this once. Um, but where a couple have got divorced and then ended up getting married again to each other. A wonderful thing to have happened. Uh, but that's the kind of picture of what's going on here. Yes, the people have been cast off, but, but no longer. They're being married again, as it were. And then see how we're swamped with these descriptions of the husband. It's just wonderful. For your maker is your husband, the one who made you. The Lord, that, that covenant name for God who, who's committed to his people, the Lord of hosts, that means kind of mighty and powerful, limitless in his power. And the Holy One of Israel, his holiness, your Redeemer, the one who uh, rescued you from particularly um, Egypt in the first instance and then time and time again. The God of the whole earth he is called where we're kind of laden with these incredible descriptions of who God is, and he is your husband. Wow. That's why you don't need to fear. Okay? If the maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is your husband, if the Holy One of Israel is your husband, if the Redeemer is your husband, if the God of the whole earth is your husband, you do not need to be afraid. And despite their past failures and their unfaithfulness, there's no kind of probationary period on this. There's no prenup written in case they mess up again. God's not sitting there waiting for a mistake. Verse 7, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. And then in verse uh, 9, uh, God's saying, look, you remember Noah? You remember Noah right back in Genesis? You remember how God, uh, after he'd flooded the whole earth and kind of wiped away all wickedness, do you remember how, when, when all the water drained, drained away, God made this promise to Noah and said, look, never again am I going to flood the whole, whole earth. And I gave you the rainbow as a sign of that. You remember that promise? You remember how I've kept that promise? Well, this promise is like that promise. Just as I've never done that, so I'm never going to turn away from you. I won't be angry with you. And in verse 10, he's saying, look, even if Mount Everest kind of crumbles to dust or gets up on two feet and, and runs away, even if that happens to you, my steadfast love will not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. With the Lord as her husband, verse 4, fear not, be not confounded. Now again, these things apply uh, to Israel uh, back there and then. As God redeems the people out of exile, it was indeed a great cause for joy, and, and some of that shame was removed. But, but these things only find their fulfillment after that servant's sacrifice. 
It is only after Jesus came to die in the place of his people, when he took that shame and disgrace upon himself, when he bore the sins of many, only then will these things be true for his people. And so now when we hear those words in verse 4, fear not, what a great reversal we see again. This bride who is unfaithful, yet needs not fear ever again. Needs not fear about their relationship with their husband. And because of the saving work of Jesus, we now, today, we need not be afraid of God if we are trusting in that suffering servant. uh, We don't need to be afraid of the accusations of Satan. And perhaps, again, you are overwhelmed with a sense of shame this week because of some sin or other. It's good to be grieved. It's good to be grieved by our sins, but, but don't remain there. Don't stay there. Hear these words just summarizing this passage. Hear these words. Fear not, for your maker is your husband. With great compassion I will gather you. With everlasting love I will have compassion on you. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you. My steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. All because of Jesus' work on the cross. And finally, the, the image changes um, more substantially, although there is crossover, um, as we move to a broken city, secure. So we're moving from one common image of God's people in the Old Testament um, to another one, uh, from a bride to a city. And just like the reality for their city in the, in the exile, so God's people here kind of depicted as uh, weak and at risk. So verse 11 starts, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. This city that's kind of being battered and blown around. And yet here we see this final reversal as the city is rebuilt. Verse 11 and 12, quite what stones in antimony, agates and carbuncles are. I don't know. Um, footnotes might help us out a little bit. But, but the, the, the picture is clear enough. The gist is really clear, isn't it, verse 12, in verse 11 and 12. This city is going to be rebuilt by God. And it's going to be rebuilt using these precious stones. Right from the foundations, right from the very bottom to the tops of the gates and the walls, it's going to be gleaming. It's going to be dazzling. Beautiful. And this city is going to be made, though it was desolate, it's going to be made beautiful. And not just beautiful, but strong and secure. So verse 14, In righteousness you shall be established, for you shall be, uh, you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror. Sorry. Uh, you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. And look, from now on, God says to him, because of you. And those who come, they may well come with big, scary weapons. But, verse 16, Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. 
I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Yeah, yeah, they might come with these big scary weapons. Well, well, who made the big scary weapons and, and the one who made them? Well, well, I did, God says. And look, since I made them, I control them and none of these weapons in verse 17 are going to succeed against you. It's a wonderful picture of this safe, secure, dazzlingly bright and beautiful city built up by God, secured by God, protected by God. And again, in some small measure, the rebuild of the temple and the walls, um, we saw this happening. But but again, the people in the city were were, were attacked again. No, this total security only comes through the suffering of the servants. Again, he was oppressed and afflicted so that his people wouldn't be. He established this city in righteousness because, as we saw last time, he was the one who accounted many righteous. But yet we still look forward. We still look forward to this, um, this happening fully and finally. In your Bibles, please come with me to, to Revelation 21. Keep your finger here because I'm just going to pop back once more. But... Um, Come to Revelation 21. Last book of the Bible, almost the last page. And in uh, Revelation 21, God's people are again described as a city, the holy city coming down out of heaven. And in verse 18 to 21, we find a, a very similar description of this city uh, made of these precious jewels. And then see how safe and wonderful this city will be. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord. God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what we look forward to, this uh, full and final completion of God's promises here to his people, to this city that will be ultimately and totally secure, never to suffer any form of attack again. Brothers and sisters, we look forward to it. The, the command that comes in, um, if you do pop back into chapter 54, uh, that comes twice through these verses, behold, look at it, see what the Lord is going to do. Again, as times get hard for Christians, for God's people nowadays, behold that city, behold that work that God is going to do and look forward to it with confidence. 
what wonderful reversals, what wonderful divine reversals the Lord Jesus Christ brings about by his death. His substitutionary death on the cross brings this remarkable change for his people. We see joy overriding pain. We see comfort in the place of shame. Fearlessness in the face of fear, in the place of fear, and security in the place of brokenness. So we sing, we fear not, and we behold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible grace to your people. Back then, to the Jews, to us today, how safe and secure the protection, the beauty that you give your people is truly remarkable, a great transformation. We thank you and praise you for that. Please, Father, would these things uh, truly help us in our lives as we go away today and as uh, though we go away to troubles and pains uh, for many of us. Yet, please, would these truths of what Jesus has achieved be what continue to sustain us through those times. In Jesus' name, amen.